Good morning. I'm going to be reading Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Um, For those of you I don't know, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And I am terribly afraid. Um, Anybody else? Does anybody else ever feel afraid? Yeah? Um, What a way to start, right? Like y'all are just like looking at your Bibles opening and you hear the pastor say, I am terribly afraid. I could just see the gaze. Um, I, I I want you guys to know that I'm afraid because... I struggle to know what to do with that. And, and if I had money to put on it, I would bet that you do too sometimes. Oftentimes, many times, probably all the time. That's my experience. Um, and so we get this psalm, Psalm 1. How God chooses to begin this largest book. Um, and he says, blessed is the man. Blessed is um, the, the person. Blessed is the human. Blessed is the man or woman. And that word blessed, um, we kind of have like Christianized it to the point where it feels a little churchy and religious to us. It means favored. And if you read another translation, it might say Happy. Okay, so now we have these two things. If we look at the first word of Psalm 1, we have happy and favored in this fear that we carry. And because we have these two things presented to us, we can recognize that all of life will present to us these two choices, these two ways to live. Are we going to live from our fears and our anxieties and what stresses us out and feeling the pressure to make a decision and do the right thing and live the right way? Or are we just going to ask God, will you be near to me? Will you you give me your favor? Will you give me your peace? Because I can't do it. I can't find it. Will you give me your goodness? This is Psalm 1. Um, there was this conversation we had last week about the purpose of the Psalms, right? Remember, the purpose of the Psalms is to encourage and guide us to faithful prayer as we wait and hope for God to redeem us. The, cur- the purpose of the Psalms is to encourage and guide us to faithful prayer as we wait and hope for God to redeem us. And the way that the Psalms do that is by leveraging this super science this fancy um, thing that we called experience-dependent neuroplasticity. If you don't remember that, great. 
You don't need that much in your brain taking up that much room. But that, that, that phrase, that term, is that what we focus our minds on will change who we are. Where our attention stays will change how we behave. And it's this, this idea that someone is tapping into um, because what, what we did last week, we used Psalm 73 as an intro to the whole book. Psalm 1 and 2 are an intro to book 1, right? Remember, there's five books of the Psalms. Psalm 1 and 2 kind of like fill our backpack with the things we're going to carry through the rest of the Psalms. And so the, the thing that Psalm 1 gives us is the two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. We're going to see that theme, not just repeated through book one. It's going to be emphasized in book one and heightened, but you'll see it pop up. If you're reading through the Psalms, now that you know that, you can't unsee it. It's like watching the sixth sense all the way through and knowing the end, that the guy's actually dead. And then you rewatch. Don't pretend like you haven't seen it or heard that already. I am, that is not news to you. You watch Sixth Sense again, like you can't unsee that Bruce Willis is getting colder and colder and darker and darker through the movie. Psalm 1 and 2, are, they do that on purpose. And so what we, what we want to hold on to, what we want to put in our backpacks and not unsee as we walk through is these two ways, the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. Okay, that's great. Now I'm even more afraid that the way that I'm going to choose is the way of the wicked. I'll free you from that. You will. You just will. When Moses in Deuteronomy gives his great speech to all of Israel, and he's like, hey, God's, God's standard is pretty high. All you have to do is obey him. And life in the promised land is going to be pretty prosperous. And Israel's like, okay, we can do that. And he says, no, you won't. You're going to fail. And you're going to die. And you're going to be exiled. But God will come back for you. So when you get these two ways presented to you, which way do you go? And, and how do we maintain the, that answer? Because we can choose the way of the righteous, right? We can, we can pick that. Nobody wants to be in the way of the wicked unless you're like a really angsty 16-year-old, either literally or at heart. I'm not going to judge you. But we, we all kind of have this idea, especially with Psalm 1 presenting to us, the way of the righteous is going to flourish, is going to be with God, but the way of the wicked will perish. It'll be destroyed, it'll disappear, it'll fade away, like the dew this morning will fade away, and probably already has. So which way do we go? How do we pick the way of the righteous? Really, it, it kind of comes down to... The Spirit asking us a question. So in my job, I get presented with a lot of these opportunities to choose. The way of the wicked, the way of the righteous. Like, how am I going to respond to this difficult conversation with a church member? How am I going to respond to um, this part of our story where, you know, we, we started out as just a fresh church plant. We, didn't ex- we expected um, two years in, we just celebrated two years, two year birthday. We expected two years in, still like only having 35 people. But that wasn't the story that, that we got to choose for ourselves. God chose a different story for us. 
But there was a moment when, when the church that used to be in this building approached us and, and asked uh, us to consider joining with them. There was a moment where we were presented with, okay, not just two options of what do we do, but we're presented with how are we going to answer this question? And it came down to the Spirit asking, what kind of church do you want Redeemer to be? What kind of pastor do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of son do you want to be? And so when we're presented with these forks in the road moments, which way do you go? And how do you know which way is the way of the righteous and which way is the way of the wicked? How do you know? Um, because we're still in the introduction, I'm, I'm going to start with the end in mind. John 15, 5. Because it's not just pastors that get presented with these moments. Everyone. Like all of life presents us with these moments. Am I, I going to live in light of my fear, being led by my fear? And if you're like, I'm just not afraid, keep looking. Or are we going to be led by what someone calls the way of the righteous, being planted by the stream? What John 15, 5 describes as the way of being a faithful Christian. I am the vine, is what the ESV says. That word vine is the tree trunk. It's in reference to a fully mature, grown tree, this base of the tree, the strongest part. When we hear vine, we think grapes. I could tear one of those with my hands. That's not what John 15, 5 is meaning. The vine is the tree trunk, and it's got centuries-long rings of age within it. I am the tree. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever remains in me, whoever clings to me, whoever follows after me, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is not absently or accidentally quoting Psalm 1. He is quoting Psalm 1. I'm the tree. I'm by the stream. I make you bear fruit. I'm the blessed man. So now what do we do? Our guiding thought for today, our main idea, this, this thing that I want bouncing around in your head when you leave today. The tree abides in the stream. We abide in the tree. The tree abides in the stream. We abide in the tree. What kind of person do you want to be? Who do you want to be? What, what do you want your life to be marked by? Um, again, last week we talked about like this meditation of our, our thinking is what the Psalms are kind of tapping into. And one thing that I realized on thinking about that some more, thinking about thinking, was what we set our minds on, um, it's not just like going to instantly satisfy my soul. It's like, all right, Jesus, I thought about Psalm 1 for a day. 
Like, where's the healing? I'm still pretty afraid. What am I doing wrong? I think that often. Where our minds stay, it, it is like this source from where our souls draw life. And so if our minds are staying, like someone says, delighting in God's instruction, following him, staying to the stream, then over time, our souls begin to heal. Our souls begin to find satisfaction. It's not going to be Amazon Prime to us. And so there's like this way of living, this consistency to our lives that we've got to find. Um, Pastor Eugene Peterson, he's, he passed away many years ago, um, but he wrote a book, but he had this saying. Um, he liked to use like contemporary secular poems and, and quotes for his book, so I don't know which one this came from, um, but he called the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. And that's what it is. It's just a long obedience. Like It's, it's going to be long. It's going to be hard. Just keep going in the same direction. Um, so we're in Psalms. We're looking at book one, Psalm one. We're in the Old Testament. And anytime we approach an Old Testament passage, this is true of the New Testament too, but it's a little bit different for Christians um, because we want in the Old Testament to just like splatter Jesus onto the pages of the Old Testament. And we can't do that. Jesus is in there. We can't throw him in there We've got to find him. And God knew what he was doing when he wrote the Old Testament, and so we can find him, but we have to go through what it meant to the original audience. All right? So if you're taking notes, that's your first Bible study tip if you haven't nailed that down already. When we read the Old Testament, we have to understand what did this mean to Israel? Why would Israel read, not just read, but recite and sing and pray Psalm 1? What did God have for them in mind? Well, it's, it's presenting these two ways. If we read Psalms, any of the Psalms, but really Psalm 1 like a proverb, because it kind of is like a proverb. If we read it like a proverb, then what we would hear is karma. It pays to be good, and evil will pay you back. That's what we would get. Blessed is the man who doesn't do the wicked things or say the wicked things or just sit in wickedness. But blessed is the man who follows God, who delights in his law. When someone says, um, who delights in the instruction of, blessed is the man who delights in the instruction of God and who meditates on it. It's not saying, blessed is the person who gets all of his answers from the Bible. Like, I have this life moment, this question that I'm struggling with. Um, do I go to this school or this school? Well, the Bible will tell me. That's not how the Bible works. Do I buy this car or that car? What's the financially wise decision? That's not how the Bible works. It's not a textbook. I don't care what you've heard from your, your past and what you've, what you've grown up understanding. The Bible is not the instruction manual for life. It teaches us who to go to to find life. So Psalm 1 is not saying meditate on God's answers for getting you through the long obedience in the same direction. When God says, blessed is the man, 
Blessed is the person who delights in my instruction, who meditates on, on my words day and night. This is, if the Bible is telling us who God is and who we are, then the point of Psalm 1 is to say, blessed is the man who knows God and is known by God. That man is like a tree planted in streams of water. I would rather know the guy with all the answers than just have to memorize all the answers. So, if we're reading it on the surface and we just read it as karma, it pays to be good and evil will pay you back. Um, that was actually when the Psalms were written, that was the common like worldview to see life through. This was their idiom that they kind of, the, the ancient Near East passed around about, well, it pays to be good. Um, and so Psalm 1 is actually pulling some truth out of that. And it's actually, it's an apologetic to the culture. It's responding to what other people are saying is true and saying, but let me tell you what God says about this truth. And so what does it say? It says that God doesn't actually care about how we behave. His priority of care is not in how we behave. It's not in, in the choices we make. It's in who we come to. Are we going to stay isolated out in the wilderness being blown away like chaff? Or are we going to come and cling to the Father, to the Creator? The tree abides in the stream and we abide in the tree. Now, our next little Bible study tip, contrast and parallel. I want to point these out because not only are we carrying with us through the Psalms um, this, this thought of the two ways, but we also need to be carrying with us some tools. We cannot read the Psalms, like I said, like a proverb, but we also can't read the Psalms like it's Genesis. We can't read the Psalms like it's Chronicles. And some of you are like, I've never read Chronicles. We cannot just apply the same techniques to every book. Poems say so much with so little. And so chewing on them, meditating on them, sinking into them, letting them speak to us is going to be really helpful. One of the ways that we can pull some things out for us to meditate on is contrast. So contrast is putting two things next to each other to show their differences. Look at verses 3 and 4. The blessed man is like a tree. In verse 3. In verse 4, the wicked are not so. So we see this comparison. We also see in verses 1 and 2, blessed is the man who doesn't do this but does this. And so as we, what I'm hoping that you would do for this week is meditate on Psalm 1. Look for those contrasts. Open your Bibles and read through Psalm 1 and pull out those contrasts and then just think about them on your drives, on your walks between classes. Maybe turn the music off when you're at the gym and just think about the contrasts. In Psalm 1. There's also, um, so we get contrast, we also get parallels. Now parallels um, do something 
sort of similar. They take a couple of lines, and instead of showing them their differences, it emphasizes something. And so we take a parallel in Psalm 1. Uh, look at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, we don't know much about that tree. Um, if you've been in St. Angelo for any number of minutes, you know not all trees are the same. If you've been anywhere else in the world, you're like, that's a tree. <laughs> so we know a tree planted in St. Angelo is different than a tree planted in Illinois. So what is that tree like? Well, we use this parallel. We see a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Oh, it's a fruit-bearing tree. Oh, it's multiplying. It's giving food. It, it produces something good and useful. It's, it's bearing fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Fruit-bearing trees aren't evergreens. But this tree is permanent. This tree is everlasting. There's something to this tree that is unlike any other tree. And so as we take these two tools with us through the Psalms, I hope that you use them. You won't find both of them. Sometimes you'll find one, sometimes you'll find another. Sometimes we've got to use different techniques. So we're going to be introducing some more of these throughout the series. But I hope that you take them with you. You carry them along with this, this memory of the two ways as we walk through the Psalms because it's going to help. And, and you're going you're gonna to have things to meditate on. You're going to actually find yourself delighting in God's instruction in the Psalms. One thing that I want to point out is in the parallel, here's what, what the Psalms do so incredibly. In this parallel, not only do we learn about the tree, but we also learn about the water. Because just like trees in San Angelo, we know not all water is the same, right? Like a tree planted by the concho will fall into the concho and it'll rot, it'll stink. But a tree planted by the Mississippi, a tree planted by fresh, clean water found somewhere else. Like we know that the water is life-giving water, it's clean water, it's fresh water. If the water were salty, the tree would die. If the water were contaminated, polluted, the tree would die. So not only do we learn about the tree, we learn about the source of life, this, this stream that it's planted by. And the psalmist never has to tell us what the stream is like for us to know that. Isn't that incredible? God's wisdom like he gave us, even the English language, as ridiculous as it is, he gave us the ability to see so much when we just slow down. To, to say so little, but at the same time say so many things. It's, it's incredible. The Psalms are an art form. The Psalms show us the beauty of God and the wisdom of God. Um, so as we meditate on these Psalms, I want, us, I want us to know, um, well, we'll start with just Psalm 1. Meditating on Psalm 1, what we see are these two, almost a dichotomy. We see two opposing truths. We get these two ways presented to us, right? So Psalm 1 tells us, here's the good way to live. 
That's, that's one truth, right? Um, I think I have a slide about this. Yes, the two opposing truths. Follow God and live, but we can't do it. Follow God and live, but uh, how hard is that to maintain? Um, the, the way of the righteous leads to blessing. We kind of got that down. Being led by God's desires, not our own desires. That's the way to find life. Like We, we kind of have, have covered that already. Um, do we believe it? Do we actually believe that if we follow God's will and God's desires and we know him and are known by him, do we actually believe that we will flourish? Because it's way easier just to be convinced that what I want is what is good. We underestimate how easily deceived we are by our own ideas of goodness. So we just got to trust sometimes. We, we know this, like, trust God and live, follow God and live, cast all your cares on him. We know in Matthew eleven twenty eight, and Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That sounds great. Um, but the, that other truth, that opposing truth to that, is that we can't. We can't keep that up. And the longer we try, the more frustrated we get. And like the, the tighter and tighter that pressure builds on, on the cap that we're putting on that, that honesty. We cannot possibly maintain the way of the righteous because, guys, we took our first steps in the way of the wicked, didn't we? Like we said our first words right there standing next to the scoffers and we ate our first bites in the seat of the, the scoffers. I said that backwards. The, we were standing in the way of the sinners and we ate our first bite in the seat of the scoffers. That's a way to, to just blow an illustration. That's all right. My point is, it's ingrained in us. We are the wicked. We are. So we're talking about meditating, where our thoughts are, where our imaginations are. Do you want to know, most nights of the week, when I lay down, and we finally turn the TV off, and I pull the covers up and I roll over, you know, I want to know where my mind is? Oh, man, that cup of coffee tomorrow morning is gonna be so good like I can't wait cherries toffee I, I taste it all I know I sound pretentious it's okay or I'm reminiscing on the cup I had that morning like 12 hours ago God have mercy on me that as I'm falling asleep I'm thinking about coffee God have mercy on you who don't know what coffee is really like. <laughs> but really, when, when we know the blessed way is our thoughts being captivated by Jesus and his word, and, and we find our, ourselves captivated with so many other little meaningless things. C.S. Lewis says, um, we could be at holiday on the beach, Right? 
and the Brits use weird things, holiday, vacation, like we, we could be on a vacation at the beach, but rather we're making mud pies in the slums. That's where our minds are. We think about lesser things. Our desires are captivated by lesser things. So I hope that what I'm helping us really be honest about is something we all already know about ourselves. Some of us are too afraid to admit it. Some of us are too afraid to actually live like it. Some of us don't trust the grace of Jesus enough to finally just let go and be the failure and the wicked sinner that we are. There's two words in the Bible that change our history. Because we're meant to be blown away like chaff. Have you ever seen chaff? Like, have you ever, like, plucked a grain of anything? Grass and that that papery stuff on the outside, it kind of just falls apart in your hands? That's what we are. So how do we go from that to a tree? Two words repeated 45 times in all of Scripture. But God... knowing full well that we cannot fulfill someone on our own. But God changes everything. Because God, so big and other creator, became a man. He put on the wicked. He put on the scoffer. He put on the sinner. He said, I'll do it. I'll fulfill someone. And then he died like a wicked person. Like a a wicked, scoffing, mocking sinner. And we spit on him. And we ripped his clothes off and we bet each other for him. We played craps for Jesus' stuff. This, this, this way that we have about us where we respond to these fears and these, these, life presents us these two ways and we, and we choose the right way. Isn't it at best half-hearted and part-time And Jesus takes those half-hearted, part-time efforts. He doesn't even measure them. He says, you don't need that anymore. I'll do it. I'll do it. You see, Jesus is the blessed man. Jesus is the tree planted by the stream. It's Jesus. Now, a lot of times what you'll see in Scripture... Um, you see this motif of a tree, you'll see this motif of the stream, and they communicate different things. Tree has a lot to do with judgment. Oh, and then all of a sudden the gospel makes a lot more sense sometimes because tree and judgment, and then Jesus is put on a tree and he's like, I am the tree, mind blown. The stream, water means very different things. Um, Masses of water, dark waters mean chaos and sin and wickedness. Streams and rivers, fresh water is the life-giving Holy Spirit. So how do we stay connected to this thing that's supposed to guide us and lead us and encourage us? 
We abide in the tree. The tree abides in the stream. Um, it, it's not lost on me that, that because I stand up here most Sundays and I have a microphone and I'm the one saying all the things, the smart things that I get from other people, um, that it's easy to assume that I'm different. And, and some of you have actually told me like, man, you're no different. And I'm grateful for that. And, and sometimes it's, it's funny how like you'll say those things and I'm like, ouch. Um, but I need that. <laughs> I need that humility. But I'm not, I'm not different. I, I'm a person. And I'm afraid. And I get presented with these, these forks in the road and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And it's not just big decisions about do we, do we merge with another church. It's not just these big decisions about, oh, where do we put the, the funds for this because we need two separate things. It's, it's about like when I wake up in the morning and where my desires are and what I'm doing with the fears that I have that I'm not even aware of. Um, and so... What I, what I hope that we can see, not just from Psalm 1, but the rest of the Psalms, is how human the authors are. Like, God chose. He could have just, like, what, what a lot of people assume is that the finger of God, like, indwelt the finger of man and just, like, blood wrote scripture on paper. And that's not what happened. God chose to use people and the uniqueness of those people and the struggles of those people to write scripture. We saw last week, Asaph wanted everything that the wicked have. He wanted the ease and the comfort and the pleasures of that life. That came through a person who delights in the instruction of God. The, the, the truth in Psalm 1, when we say, like, the world is saying um, it pays to be good and evil will pay you back. The truth that Psalm 1 is responding to, that, that we hear through Israel saying, no, but, but it's, it's actually being present with the Father. It's being with God and chosen by God. So we move through that to see yeah, and, and Jesus was fully known by the Father. He, he was fully present with God constantly. And it was actually the presence of God and the knowledge of the Father that led him straight to the cross. So that being hung on a tree, he would become the tree. And when he became the tree, he, he actually set us free from taking from the tree we weren't supposed to take from. So no matter, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what difficulties you're struggling with, no matter what battle you have between understanding what's good for you and what to do with these fears and these anxieties, someone helps us to meditate that, that Jesus fulfills this psalms. Jesus fulfills this promise of the righteous and the blessed. And that, that we just get to come to him and, and trust that he did it. Because we're not going to feel like that's true all the time. That's going to be lost on us a lot of days. 
but trusting that he fulfilled it, trusting that, that he's got our good in the end. That's where Psalm 1 encourages and guides us to faithfully pray as we wait and hope for Jesus just to give us some goodness, to bear some fruit in us. Now, I want to do one last thing. I know I'm already over time. I want to look at the fruit. There was one church in Lubbock in 2008 that lived this way, that clung to Jesus. And they said, you know what? We're, we're just going to live in this way where um, we're going to be led by Jesus' spirit. Um, trusting that he fulfilled Psalm 1. And that led them to planting a few churches. And uh, me and, and my wife and Brian and his wife, we got to go with some of our team to Lubbock to visit this church. Um, and we got to see just really like where in 2008 that one church started. Can we show the graphic for that now? We were, we we're at a conference just being encouraged by people who are in the same career path as us, who care about a lot of the same things, deal with a lot of the same struggles. And I think this is probably one of the things that I left with, like, hold on, Jesus started with 12, and now we're here. Lubbock started just trusting, just one church, and now 30 churches later, in all 30 of those churches, people just like you, with stories like yours, with feelings like yours, with experiences like yours, bearing fruit in their communities to live and preach the gospel. And we're not just, this is our legacy. Like this is our, our past and our history. This isn't just our past and our history. This is also our future. Because what we could do is take that number 23 and change that to a one and start all over. And just pray, God, would you bear fruit in us? Because apart from you, we can't do anything. So that 50 years from now, people with our experiences and our stories and our hurts and our pains and our sorrows wouldn't just be absent from those things, but would feel them deeply and trust you and be planted by that stream and bear fruit. I hope that I get to show this in 20 more years and we're number one. And this isn't like, oops, church planting Sunday. We got a bone to pick. Like, this is the gospel proliferating through our city. That's not going to do that if we're being blown away by chaff. That's only going to happen if we abide in the tree. The tree abides in the stream. We got to hurry up and get to communion. Um, Clay, you can go ahead and come up. I just want to say thank you to Clay. Um, he has been doing this for a very long time, and he comes and, and serves us every now and then. Uh, and and it's, it's just great to, to see knowing even a little bit of his story. 
just to have him with us and lead us. Um, I hope you're encouraged by uh, Clay leading us this morning. He is here because Caleb and Jordan had a baby. And so if you're not... Um, if you're not signed up for that meal train yet, go ahead and do that. But he's going to be out for a while. They're going to stay home uh, and, and take care of baby Nora. So um, just shoot them a text and say congratulations if you think about them. But um, communion is not just a reminder. Like we, we talk about it as a reminder and kind of the stand-in for um, symbolically remembering the body and blood of Jesus. It's not just a reminder. It is also a celebration, and it is also a cling to hope that someday we will bear fruit, that someday Jesus will come back for us and we get to be with him forever, that we'll be fully known and we'll know more fully the Father. And so we take the bread, we take the cup. For those of us who believe in the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the return, of Jesus. We, we do this in remembrance of him. So for as long as you drink of the cup and you eat the bread, we do this to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back for us. Would you join me at the table?